0: jump into
1: question You got that. You got that. Explain that. You got it. You're doing it. You got it. I'm there.
0: You got it? All right. I am. Welcome to Infinite Insights, the podcast designed for all TK-12 math teachers.
1: I'm Maggie Peters, math consulting teacher for the Rincon Valley School District here in Northern California.
0: And I'm Dwayne Habecker, math coordinator for Merced County Office of Education.
1: Every other week, Dwayne and I will share a new math research study or article or some other mathy thingamajig, and we'll talk it over and bounce some ideas off of each other and then think about how to implement them in the classroom.
0: That's all good. Hey, how you doing, Maggie? <laughs> I'm doing
1: all right. Got myself a new car. I'm ready to talk some math. I'm good. How about you? Of
0: sure. I did not get a new car, but I'm ready to talk about some math. <laughs> if, if I don't sneeze throughout this episode, we're going to see if I could get through this.
1: All right. Sounds good. So, you know, since you, this is a continuation of last week's uh, podcast or two weeks ago, um, but how did it come to be?
0: Yeah, so um, uh, another shout-out. I think this is going to be the kind of tradition for the next 10 episodes. It's a shout-out to Eric Lee. He's on Twitter. He's at the Eric Lee. And Eric is spelled E-R-I-C-K. And Lee is L-E-E. And Eric, uh, several weeks ago, suggested that we read this one particular article from PISA. And it's this big, huge 96-page article thing is uh broken down into 10 questions that teachers can, you know, basically answer uh, by reading the data from Pisa. And so we're gonna be answering these 10 questions. Last week was or last episode, I guess was um, we did question one. So anybody who wants to know who Pisa is, who OECD is, um, who are the 35 member countries and all that sort of background stuff, go listen to our previous episode. I, I, I think it's episode nine. Mm-hmm. Let's, and uh, listen to that because that's got all the background stuff. I think today we, if if that's okay with you, Maggie, let's just jump right into question two. Yeah.
1: Does that work, question, does that work for you? Yeah, that totally works for me.
0: Okay. So the question I'm going to jump in because I, I'm going to do the easy part. See, I heard you. You wanted to do the easy part, and I'm jumping in.
1: I it. I wanted to read the question.
0: I heard the inhale. <laughs> and I'm, I'm jumping the gun because I want the easy part this time. I'm going to read the question. All right. Okay, question two. Are some mathematics teaching methods more effective than others? And specifically, talk about. Cognitive activation.
1: Ooh, those are big words. I know. I know. Cognitive meaning brain work activation is activating that brain work. Woohoo. All right. Um, so basically this whole episode, this whole question relates back to um, – taking a step back and reflecting on whether the teaching methods we're using are really the best for student learning. Um, I think a lot of times we get used to or build habits based on the curriculum we've used or based on, um, the, the school culture and they may not always be the best. Um, but this is one of those times where you can stop, step back and really look, Hey, is this the best for my students or is this just the easiest for me?
0: Yeah. I mean, we're busy. Teachers are busy. And quite frankly, we kind of get into this survival mode of where our teaching strategy really amounts to turn the page mm-hmm. and talk about whatever is on that page. And and this whole research from PISA and all the data is really suggesting, man, maybe if we're a little bit more thoughtful about this, some specific teaching strategies, we're going to get a bigger bang for our buck without a lot of extra work.
1: Right. Right. And I, I like... Oh. I, sorry, I was no, just quickly, in my in my district recently. We've just been talking about backwards planning and taking that that time to look at the end in mind. And I think it also requires you to start slowly. And I think this is one of those times too that you can start slowly. Choose one thing. Make this a new habit um, you know, that one, one thing or one cognitive strategy, and then it kind of builds from there. And then sure, like over time, you'll realize some of those other habits that you, that weren't necessarily the best, um, or the most effective have now kind of disappeared and been replaced. So
0: yeah, the power of just reflecting on our practice. Yeah.
1: Right. Right.
0: So. So, um, last episode, we talked about um, some teaching strategies where um, some strategies worked well with easy problems, but others worked, but that same strategy didn't work as well with hard problems and vice versa. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about a thing called cognitive activation strategies. And the cool thing is they have the uh, the use of these cognitive activation strategies have the greatest positive association with the students average math score. So basically, when teachers use these strategies, the students benefit. Um, And essentially, in a nutshell, cognitive activation is talking about um, giving students a chance to just think deeply about their problems uh, rather than just have math be an endeavor where you're getting the answer. It's really talking about... um, talking about the methods that the students use, the mistakes they made, and giving students a chance to reflect on their learning. So Maggie, go in deeper. Talk more about what is cognitive activation in math teaching.
1: I took away that it really is having the kids do the heavy thinking. They're the ones that are answering the questions. And um, it, it reminded me of some of the research that um, I've read in the past where it asks you as the teacher who is doing the most talking, because the person who's doing the most talking is doing the most learning. Yeah. And so it really made me reflect and think about, okay, the program I'm using, I tend I tend to see teachers or myself talking for a full hour or a, a full, you know, half an hour and then just giving them 20 minutes to practice. Um, but a lot of this is the opposite, giving them a problem and um, having them do, do the digging to solve it for, for instance, um, right. you know? Yeah. Like having the, us decide on a a problem and then having the kids come up with their own procedures for solving it.
0: Sure. Yeah. Let's you know if we can. Yeah. You and I didn't plan this before we hit record. Go to that table. Let's yeah. I'll read 3, you read 3 and I'll read 3. Uh, uh some let's give the the listeners some specific examples of what the heck we're talking about with cognitive activation strategies. So it's things like The teacher asks the students to uh, decide how to use their own strategies for solving problems, or maybe the teacher presents a problem for which there's no immediate obvious method, so students have to engage in that productive struggle, or maybe the teacher gives problems and and require the students to just sit and think for an extended period of time rather than um, uh, rely on immediate recall.
1: Okay. Um, And the teacher presents problems in different contexts so that um, we know whether uh, we have understood the concepts or they have understood the concepts. Um, So they kind of give the same problem in multiple ways. Um, And then the teacher, we could ask questions that make kids reflect on the problem itself and you know um, give them problems that can be solved solved in several different ways those kind of remind me of like maybe a number talk um you know when you choose number talk questions they often can be solved in different ways um, and helps the kids to reflect on that problem
0: yep or the low floor high ceiling problems wow. or the the open middle.com problems where it's like these problems can be solved in a variety of different ways. Well, so it's,
1: math talk that goes along with those because kids feel successful. isn't just one right answer. Yeah, it's yeah. exciting. Sorry. Yeah.
0: No, no, I love it. Uh, so and then the, the final three is uh, the teacher asking the students to learn from the mistakes that they've made. You know, let's think critically. Let's do perhaps an error analysis or let's figure out how to learn from our mistakes. That's kind of like mm-hmm. that Joe Bowler growth mindset. And then we've got uh, the teacher uh, presents problems that require students to apply what they've already think they know, but now they're going to apply it in a brand new context. So that's a little different from what you said, using, presenting stuff in different contexts. This is now using something that we know, but in a brand new context. And then lastly, just the age old classic the teacher asks the students to explain how you solve the problem. So none of these things are revolutionary, but we're we're learning in this research, the PISA data, that teachers who use these simple cognitive activation strategies increase the student performance tremendously. Um, And they help the kids go deeper in the concepts.
1: And they don't just focus on the answer. It's about the process that they use to get there and the cognitive load of the problem,
0: really. Yeah, yeah. So now how widely are these cognitive activation strategies? How widely are they used?
1: Um, Quite frequently, I guess. (laughs) Right here. Okay, I'll, then I'll I, jump I, into I this. God, I lost my notes here. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> oh, God. <gosh>. Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, we, we're not going to edit this out, quite quite frankly, because I, I don't know how. It's GarageBand, and I don't know how to edit in GarageBand yet. I know how to start and end. <laughs> if ever
1: wanted to know if we were real, man, we're real. <laughs> oh,
0: we are real. <laughs>
1: So, so the good news is... That it does happen that, across countries. Um, yeah, they're used a lot. They're used a lot. <laughs> um, the teachers, yeah. the most frequent one is the one that we were talking about is the, the teacher asking students to explain how they've solved the problem. And in fact, it was reported by 70% of the students, um, you know, surveyed um, as occurring in most lessons. And I do believe, I think that's because that is an easy one to fall back on um, when you want the kids to start explaining how they did something. So you can kind of see what they were thinking.
0: Yeah. And later in the episode, we're going to get to the section where um, these cognitive activation strategies are more likely to be used in classrooms that are better behaved. So that's kind of a a preview. And this is why people want to keep listening to the episode, even though we're losing our notes because there's this, (laughs) Surprise! I think this. If we want students to do well in math, we've got a surprise answer later in the episode. It's going to be, it's going to be good. I don't. I'm, we'll we'll see. So let's let's go down it's our notes. It's going to be good, right, Dwayne? <laughs> it's going to be great. So, how can uh, the use of cognitive activation strategies benefit student achievement?
1: So students who reported that their teachers use these strategies in their classes um, also have higher mean mathematics scores, like you were talking about earlier. Um, And when we take that into account, um, the strength of the relationship between this type of teaching and student achievement is even stronger.
0: Yeah, like the idea would be, first off, the use of cognitive activation strategies helps kids. Now, we know that. But then just because a teacher uses a cognitive activation strategy and the student got better, it doesn't necessarily mean that the cognitive activation strategy got the kid better because maybe the teacher is doing some other things like bribery or candy or the threat (laughs) of, you know, there's some other teaching strategy that actually did the, the work in improving student achievement, right? That's a possibility. So what the PISA has documented is showing us is when we kind of like control for other teacher behaviors and when we when we kind of eliminate the possibility of other teacher strategies actually improving student scores, that's when this, the, the connection of the use of cognitive activation strategies becomes really strong uh, in relation to student performance. So we know that these strategies really are doing the heavy lifting in terms of improving student um, student scores. Now, and does it, that
1: work in every environment?
0: Right. Well, so our last episode, uh, when we were talking about teacher-directed versus student-directed classrooms, we learned that teacher-directed classrooms were actually the, the preferred way for easy problems. But student-directed classrooms was the preferred way for hard problems. Um, So the type of problem or concept you were trying to teach mattered in what kind of strategy you you used. In this episode, we're going to learn that cognitive activation strategies uh, help the kids no matter how difficult the math problem is. In fact, the odds of student success uh, for challenging problems is even greater than for small problems. So simple problems, cognitive activation methods help eh, boost the score by 10%. But when the problems are hard, cognitive activation strategies boosts the score by 50%. So it's the, the idea is use cognitive activation strategies all the time because they help no matter what kinds of problems we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay so in what environment does cognitive activation flourish like how do we more
1: than more than just the student centered or teacher directed
0: well what i mean is like okay if these strategies are so good why aren't we always doing them
1: right right Well, and PISA suggests that certain school and student characteristics might be more conducive. Um, Like, these might emphasize thinking and reasoning for extended periods of time, which may take away from covering the fundamentals of math.
0: Yeah, when you're taking time asking kids to do things that doesn't feel directly connected to the content, like when you're saying here's a problem. Now I'm going to give you an extended amount of time to think. <laughs> yeah. That's hard to do when you're feeling the pressure of just teaching your fundamental content. Um, we're kind of pressured for time. And when we're asking kids to take time to reflect and learn from their mistakes, that's kind of hard because the teachers are like, dude, we don't got time to reflect. We need to move on to the next lesson.
1: Right. You know? And then if you have naughties. If um, yes. any of our listeners would ever have naughty kids, um, it makes it even harder because they've never been asked to to do that kind of thinking.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, so we learned that socioeconomically advantaged students are more likely to experience cognitive activation in the classroom mm-hmm. than socioeconomically disadvantaged students. All right. And so basically, that's kind of suggesting that when the classroom is free of a whole bunch of other
1: impact, you know, factors. Kids with traumatic events, yeah, probably. I, and, yeah, not that all, and I'm not saying at all that all disadvantaged or economically disadvantaged kids are in that realm. I am totally, I'll, I'll say that I'm blanket statementing. <laughs> right, right.
0: When, when things are hard in the classroom, it's going to be difficult for the teacher to use these cognitive activation strategies. Mm-hmm. When things are easier in the classroom, it's going to be easier for the teacher to do these cognitive activation strategies. And so the related survey called the TALIS says, all right, when teachers collaborate with their colleagues they're more likely to then incorporate cognitive activation strategies in the classroom. And I think that's because, uh, you know, when teachers are talking to each other, they're helping each other either intentionally or kind of like accidentally, it's almost incidentally, Uh, they're helping each other with classroom management and the better the classroom management, the more likely the teachers are going to be able to incorporate cognitive activation strategies. Mm -hmm. Um, When they're talking about when colleagues are talking with one another, they're able to like help each other um, with the deeper kinds of strategies. Like when one of the strategies was um, ask the teacher asks students to solve the problem in their own way. Well, a, a new teacher or a teacher unfamiliar with that kind of concept of what letting the kids do it Uh on their own. How do I do that? Teachers who collaborate one another are going to be able to support each other to address that. And so that the newbie can try it.
1: Yeah. And along that line, those same lines, I'd like, you know, I think it would, when they collaborate, they can also talk about the content and in turn feel a little bit more secure with the content so if kids do veer off in a way you know that they hadn't expected they'll be able to to kind of stop it or not stop it but go with it and ask the right questions to kind of help guide them back on track
0: yeah yeah is that a cat do I hear a cat
1: yes she likes to every time we're on podcasts she like comes and meows and she never does that anytime (laughs) else so (laughs) I would like to call last last podcast too on the phone.
0: <laughs> I kid you not. I thought that was my stomach growling the first time I heard that.
1: <laughs> it must be good time for dinner, huh? Maybe crazy. we should wrap this up here. One, I, I think so.
0: <laughs> I think so. So Maggie, what can teachers do? What are our our like action plans for this first? episode?
1: Use these cognitive activation strategies. Um, start off with the ones that we listed earlier um, because they they are related to improved student achievement for problems of all levels of difficulty. And if you don't – if that list feels overwhelming, start with one. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. Another one, another thing a teacher can do is find ways – to use cognitive activation strategies in all of your classes. And so that might begin, and you know, Jim Knight talks about the big four, uh, classroom management, content, instructional strategies, and formative assessment. And this, he, the dude was preaching, he was right on. The idea is we need to help our teachers ensure a positive learning environment in the classroom so that teachers can then use these activation strategies And then part of that is learn how to manage your classroom such that the students can work in small groups because it's in these small groups where that academic discourse and a lot of these cognitive activation strategies can happen naturally without the teacher doing anything other than setting it up and letting it happen.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think um, the next thing that teachers can do, um, and I know it's hard because we don't have as much time as we want, but it's stepping back from our normal um, routines and habits and look at what the research says um, about how students learn math, really. Um, Like I said earlier, sometimes we get into that rut because it works with our curriculum or it's what we've always done. But there are some pretty smart people out there like PISA who have kind of researched some of the best things. And if we keep you know, adding that to our load, then we'll, we'll eventually be able to get the newest and best way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I read a cute little meme on Twitter, you know, talking about it's our re- professional responsibility as teachers to continually grow. And that's what you're saying is yeah. We need, we need to keep doing things to continually grow and read research. And then the last thing is kind of what you and I are doing, Maggie, collaborate with other teachers Uh, uh, Teachers are going to be way more likely to implement these cognitive activation strategies in the classroom when you have a learning buddy, a thought buddy, an accountability buddy, or somebody who can bounce ideas, you know, you can bounce ideas off of to really lay the groundwork in the classroom, beginning with classroom management, to get all of this stuff happening in the classroom
1: and what better way to kind of do all that than talk to your teachers i mean teachers yeah. are the best to talk to
0: <laughs> yeah maybe hit, maybe hit record and turn it into a podcast
1: yeah or call <laughs> us and like we'll do it with you <laughs> absolutely absolutely all right well i think it's time to wrap up this particular edition of infinite insights Dwayne, closing thoughts
0: I'm going to go with Jim Knight and his big four, man. We got to make sure we help as coaches. We got to help all of our teachers um, really get the classroom management down to set the atmosphere. That then helps teachers uh, go on and initiate these cognitive and activation strategies in their classroom. Mm-hmm. So, how about yours? What are I your closing thoughts?
1: I think my takeaway is. It's so important to teach your kids and to allow your kids the time to do the heavy lifting in math. I think they need that time to process and practice before they get out into the real world. I like it. Yep. I like it. So let's wrap this up. So everybody who's still
0: listening to our podcast, as we are like like 23 minutes into this, 24 minutes into it. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review on podcast, on Apple Tunes, whatever it is, because that really helps us get the word out because you know, we're trying to help everybody learn a little bit better in math. Send Maggie and me a shout-out on Twitter. I'm at dhabecker, and Maggie is at at PeleLover1. And,
1: you know, as usual, have a great week.
0: And we will see you every other Monday here at Infinite Insights.
1: Take care, everybody.
0: 拜拜